Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. Health and self-care are paramount in any profession, not least of all the mining and resources sector due to the obligatory long hours and physicality of the work. For some time now, the nature of the sector has led to resistance to the investment of sufficient time and resources in occupational health and safety. Joan McEwen, our guest today, is one of the pioneers of change in this area, advocating for health and wellness, particularly for female leaders in the mining and resources industry. She has an unlikely origin as a registered nurse with a postgraduate qualification in mental health. Eventually, Joan shifted her focus to occupational health and landed a job as an occupational health nurse in the mining sector in Perth. This was an unexpected change of scenery for Joan and one that led to the rapid expansion of her career and along with it, the inevitable deterioration of her work-life balance. Joan identified this and took steps to address it and in doing so, identified an area of need within her industry and an opportunity to assist her peers. As a health and wellbeing leader, speaker, author and coach, Joan's career spans over 30 years and we are excited to have her on the show today. Hi, my name is Brett Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources Unearthed, and welcome to Resourceful Stories from the Site. Today I'm joined by Joan McEwen. I was introduced to Joan by one of our listeners and was fascinated to hear more about her take on health and leadership in the industry and a bit about transition too, potentially as well. So with over 25 years of experience in, in the resources sector, Joan works with leaders to keep showing up in mind, body and spirit. Having worked as an employee and a consultant, she's helped some of the big businesses in the industry like BHP, Rio, Anglo and QGC to combat burnout and support continual high performance in operations. So as with many industries, your own personal health is often something that moves to the back burner while we're focusing on our careers, safety of others and our future. Here at RU, we're always keen to learn about how to keep our health in focus and our stress manageable while hitting our goals and also a bit about change management and, and uh, making changes as well. So I'm very interested to hear what Joan has to say. So wherever you are, sit back, relax and enjoy this episode of Resourceful with some of Joan's most memorable stories from the site. So welcome Joan and thanks for joining us today. Thanks Brett, it's nice to be here. Joan, maybe to start with you could tell us a bit how, about how you started in the resources industry and what got you here. So I started off my career as a registered nurse in Scotland and then went on to do postgrad in mental health because I just love how people think and behave and felt that I needed a bit more than just how the body works. I needed to understand how the brain actually operated. And then from there, specialised in intensive care and trauma and all that action stuff and was quite an adrenaline junkie. And then we left Scotland, came over to Australia, done lots of jobs, had a family, done lots of travel around Australia, 
And then 25 years ago, got into occupational health, which was initially in hospitality. And then just through chance, this job appeared to be an occupational health nurse in Minan. And at this time, we were living in Queensland and the role was over in Western Australia. So it was decided my kids were growing up at this point and um, it was decided, you know, if this is a career opportunity, then I should take it if it was what I felt I should do. Went through the process and found myself getting a job flying over to Perth. Initially, I'd done fly in, fly out from the Gold Coast, so it was quite laborious. But it was exciting as well because it was something I didn't know much about. Had never imagined myself in mining. Thought, you know, I've come from being a registered nurse and here I am in this world of engineers, of truck drivers, coal, nickel, contaminants, all sorts of things. And it was like, it was all of a sudden playing that bigger game that people talk about. And, and so it was an extraordinary journey. And in those days, we didn't have the internet or anything. So it was really difficult to understand what this world of mine was all about. Because as a child, my dad was from a coal mining community in the central um, Midlands in Scotland. So his first job as a 13-year-old was an apprentice chemist down the mines where he analysed the coal. So that was kind of what I knew about mining. And then, of course, got into a, a nickel mine and learned, you know, all about the carcinogens and the, the monitoring that we had to do and the health quality and the, the standards that we needed to adhere to. And, and before long, um, my career progressed really quickly till I was heading up the function and, and health and hygiene was being rolled out across sites. And, and that was a journey in itself to, um, I guess, make health not a dirty word that you know everyone could be part of this journey because we all had to have some responsibility for our health so it was a journey and you know it, it came with long hours it was not uncommon for us to start a day at four o'clock in the morning as you know and into the mess and and um you know, part of our job was to uphold the standards of the mess to make sure that the meals were of a, a set standard, that we were meeting all the hygiene um, guidelines and principles. And and so we were on some sites viewed as the, oh, they used to call us all sorts of words, but probably I'm trying to think of a kind word to, to call us. There wouldn't have been too many kind words, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling yeah. to think Sometimes of Sometimes there might have been. <laughs> you know, compliance was a big part of the role and, and ultimately it was to make sure that our workforce could be as healthy as possible and they had good choices in food groups. And we worked on the 80-20 rule of a little bit of what you fancy does you good. And um, because, you know, these guys are out working long hours, 12-hour shifts, we needed to give them really good foods to keep their energy up, to you know keep them healthy and vibrant, and so that they still had some time at the end of the shift that they could go to the gym or go for a swim or run, whatever it was. So it was quite a, 
quite a journey. So that was how I got into mining. From there, spent a lot of time in nickel and then went into bauxite mining, which yeah. was um, very different. So I'd gone from underground surface mining to bauxite, which is quite a simple process, yeah. although it's, it's quite extensive, but worked with a different demographic of people. So it was m very much more um, managing people yeah. and, and the social aspects of the job, which, which was very different. And then moved into coal, which was just so challenging. And, and I remember when we arrived in Western Australia, when we left Scotland, we had some people that we knew in Queensland and they said, whatever you view Western Australia to be, Queensland is 30 years behind that. <laughs> and we went, what does that mean, you know? And it wasn't until I went to work in this coal mine in Queensland, I finally, after 20 odd years, understand what they were telling us because yeah. it was an, another world of, you know, within coal mines. And, you know, anyone in the resources sector knows when you start bringing in unions and all these local rules and bylaws and, and things, it, it makes it very difficult to manage. And at this time, we were just putting in a new health function. They hadn't had a health function in, in this environment before. And, and it was just fraught with challenges every day. And there was just so much resistance. It was, it was really quite, I think, quite sad that people really didn't value their health or, or they didn't understand enough to care and, and thought that they didn't need to take personal responsibility. So that was a bit of a journey. And then um, I moved into oil and gas, which was like polar opposites, and then got an amazing opportunity to work on a project, which was developing, implementing and embedding a health and hygiene function across multiple sites um, within the organisation. So that was that was probably the epitome of my career in, in the resources sector where um, I managed to use all the skills, the knowledge that I'd had learned over the years, both from a nursing background, but also from working in coal and bauxite and nickel and put it all together and ended up delivering this, this health project on budget, within time, and embedded where we actually handed over to the sites and they took ownership of it. So it was a bit unusual in that corporate developed and implemented and then the, the sites took ownership because of the, the um, newness of the, the project. So it was three years of a lot of hard work, but I think to see the rewards at the end where these site managers just took such pride in running with it and leading the charge with it and it was quite extraordinary and quite humbling to watch that they had really taken it on board, they'd taken responsibility and really stepped up because when we started it they didn't feel that health was part of what their job was all about 
and being the, the, the site managers, they didn't see their scope as health was part of how they managed their people. Mm. So, as I'm sure, you know, you've seen yeah. that in many places. So it was, um, it was really great to see that mindset shift that had occurred, which on some sites actually influenced the, the culture. Mm. And we saw probably about 50% of the sites, there was a cultural shift that happened for the better, which um, was pleasing. And that was reflected with the retention. They had a workforce that really didn't change and they, they invested a lot in their people. And we even had one site. We had a lot of mental health issues on one site. And, and so we done all the, the usual things and done programs and, and training and, on our mental health issues but when we put it to the body of the work group and said what would make your time away from home more bearable more manageable more healthy for you they said we just want an old car to tinker with and you know on our downtime we don't want to go to the mess and have a beer we want to just you know potter about like we would do at home Mm. So they actually built a men's shed. They had their bits and tools and things and they had this body of a a car and they actually, I don't know the words that they used, but they built this car from a shell. And then somebody then went and took it on one of those road bashes, you know, for charity. That's it, yeah. So um, that was really, really quite special. What did you find that, what were the skill sets or what did you use to help make those changes along the way when you came to, to places where you had to develop change or change had to happen? So what, what sort of skill sets do you think you'd use if you look back on that? <laughs> I'd have to say I, I went through the, the Dr Google on how to survive um, <laughs> this transition because, as you know, it's a male-dominated environment. Here was I, the female, heading up the health function. And not only that, you know, my background was nursing. It wasn't engineering. It, you know, it was a science background. So it took a lot of people on site a lot of time to take me seriously. And because I came from corporate, they thought, you know, that we were just keeping them in their place. And and, um, so I think I learned very quickly to collaborate and I had to come on their terms because I would phone them or flick them an email and say, here's our schedule for the next month. Does that work? And and it clearly didn't work. So then I put it onto them and said, right, this is what I have to deliver and this is what I feel I need to do in order to deliver that. How can you help support me in in this or how can I support you? Initially, I let them drive it, but saying I had to be able to go back to the board on these dates with my deliverables. And we had conversations around, you know, if if I don't make my deliverables, you're not going to make yours because we've both got the same scorecard yeah. <laughs> and we've been, our performances reflect on each other's. So that kind of helped a bit. But 
you know, I, I'd spend a lot of time on site and I would, I'd go out with the guys in the trucks and I'd see what was happening in their environment. I'd learn about the jobs that they'd done. I'd experience the environments that they worked in. And my first experience in underground mining, because I had never been in an underground mine, and, and my boss had said to me, you need to develop a relationship with, with this team underground because one, they don't like women. Mm. They've never had women. They don't tolerate women underground, so I want to see how you're going to do this. And I went, oh gosh, what is underground, you know? So, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so it's a bit, a bit scary. So anyway, I took four of my, my team with me this day and said, right, we're, we're going to meet our, our friends underground. And, and we took some monitoring equipment and stuff with us. And we went through all the, the safety speeches and had done all our, our training before we could actually go underground, went down and it was kilometre underground. And when we got down underground, the lift broke. And it was- underground for a while. So- <laughs> Well designed. <laughs> so what was an hour's trip- never, never would have done something like that myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I later learned the, the method of their madness. Yeah. But so we were, we were underground for 12 hours because the lift didn't work. Mm. And, um, we had to wait on a vehicle being available to drive us up 12 hours later. So there was no conditions for females underground at that mine at that time. So it meant that we really didn't drink water all day or we didn't have cups of tea. And, and we were out up to our knees in mud and, you know, what these guys do every day. And it was a great experience. It would have been better if we'd been more prepared for it but I think what it done was it, it gave us a, a huge opportunity to have conversations with lots of the crew. We had lunch and, and um, our breaks with them. It kind of broke down the ice down a bit and the conversations that day were about what is it that you want from us that can make your environment better so that we can all meet our compliance, that we can be happy, that we can get about our job, but, you know, achieving the rules that we need to comply with. So we worked out a plan and they worked really closely with us after that. And my technicians who would have to go down three, four times a week to do various types of monitoring, they actually buddied up. They had key people who would meet them, who would take them round. And we actually trained up some of the underground workers. Some of them actually went off and studied how to be a, a technician to do some monitoring. So it was a bit of a career path for some of those guys. So it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears building those relationships because without relationships, you don't get anywhere. Yeah. So that was probably one of the, the keys um, of our success. And you probably, you know, your comments about getting out there and it's something I hear quite a bit of is that you actually need to get out on site, at the site, to actually see what's going on, but not just see what's going on, but to talk to the people on the site and form a relationship with them and, and they'll tell you a lot of things. So I think any young people listening, it's, 
you take that in mind that uh, getting out, it's amazing what you find out. Good. Could you share maybe a bit about how you negotiate the demands of working in the industry with your family life and what strategies you found work best for you and in your life? Yeah, so I, I was really fortunate in that my, my kids were growing up. I think it's much more challenging if you've got a younger family mm. and um, trying to, to balance that, whether it was obviously meant to be my kids had grown up by that yeah. time. Yeah. So, But I think what, what it does, especially that fly in, fly out, is it kind of makes you this this Jekyll and Hyde kind of person yeah. because you have this life on site and then you have this life when you get home that you have to adjust yeah. to. Yeah. So I find that quite challenging and, and sometimes it would be quite difficult maintaining relationships and friendships because, as you know, when you're on site for a week, two weeks and you're working long hours and it's hot, and you go home and you just want to sleep for a couple of days yeah, and, yeah. and you don't want to be bothered by people and, and trying to catch up and there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of time when you're home by the time you catch up in your sleep, catch up with friends, get the house organised, catch a movie, do a dinner, watch a show and then you're back on site again. Yeah. So it's it's about trying to manage that time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the tricky part of those sort of those sorts of arrangements isn't it yeah, yeah yeah if you were speaking to yourself 15 or 20 years ago what would you tell yourself or what advice would you give to yourself I would certainly say ask for help and support when I went into the resources sector I didn't have a coach for many years mm. and in reflection I think had I had a coach mentor it would have been so much easier to understand how these operations worked and the expectations and and not have to learn everything from scratch mm. because I think it wasted a lot of time and energy that had I been prepared for that, I could have went quicker into the job, the role that I was doing and had a bit more background and foundation around it that's key for me yeah coaches and mentors um, we've talked about that in a couple of our podcasts okay. sometimes it takes a while to find them and find the right people but you're amazing as you said sometimes you just have to ask and people are willing to do it do you have any advice for young professionals and those starting their career especially you talked about women um, and the the when you started in the industry, there was a lot less women in the industry, that's for sure, to, compared to what there is now and the difficulty that you faced at the time. What sort of advice would you give to young women starting their career in the industry? I think for females now, given we've got five generations in the workplace, we've got all different skill sets and ways of working and personalities and needs and wants, I think especially when, when I, I coach um, females in the, the resources sector, I go, understand what it is that you really want. What is your purpose and what are you here to do? What is it that you, you can do? Much like we talked about earlier, anchor yourself down with it so that you can really start to believe in yourself and your abilities because that's where the confidence builds and develops and that's where 
as a young female professional, that's where you will get your momentum to move forward and make a difference and make those changes because we now understand that we can do it better, we can do it differently. Each generation's got different needs in different ways. We've now moved into a, a time where it's about being agile, it's about being a bit more flexible so that we can all contribute. We were talking earlier about, um, before the podcast, you brought about a change in your career, which I might let you go into and explain maybe what you see and how you see people could be assisted to make that change if they so desire. What is it about change management or change that you think would help people if they are looking at making a change? What what do they need to do? What What is it that you found in, in your change that helped you make that change? I think when I transitioned out of the resources sector into my, my own business was I kind of landed there through default as we went through major redundancies in my last organisation and um, and I don't think you're ever prepared for that no matter how much planning goes into it. It's always a bit of a shock and I think most of us at some level take it personally because we've invested so much in that job in the role in the business however from a business perspective I don't believe it's personal but I think I made a lot of mistakes I took a lot of time to find out really where my passion was and and where I really believed I could make a difference I think had I had that coaching around really unpacking me to go from being the head of health in a major um, resource organisation to, you know, Joan McCune in, in her little practice, yeah. what would I do differently and what would I be looking to do to, to make a difference, to leave my legacy? And, and I think I would have really benefited a lot from someone being very objective and and quite I guess revealing about myself as I unpacked as to what was my real essence and and what was it that you know made me light up you know and and to save that time you know I don't life is traveling so fast as I'm sure you know and and time just seems to get away from us and I think if we can be more efficient with our time and put more value in our day with the important stuff and not so much with the less important stuff then that's really where we get that momentum to move forward to do what we're here to do. Yeah yeah it's interesting I mean we talked before our discussion here about uh, my views on things like hedgehog and things like that and you can listeners can listen to some of our earlier episodes about the hedgehog theory and my my own podcast from not so long ago like you said it's not easy to find what it is you're good at from my perspective in this hedgehog piece but what is it you're good at and what are the things you like doing and what drives you so I'm always interested in exploring with people like yourself you know how do you get to that and it took me probably a couple of years to work that out or maybe longer. In your view, is there a way of getting to that quicker or or how do you work it out or what's your sort of view on that? I wish I had that magic bullet that we could just all take and, yeah. and it happened. But I think, I really think if we give ourselves the space because 
when we come out of busy businesses, our heads are really busy and, and we've kind of been programmed to think in a certain way, to act in certain ways, to get our deliverables delivered on time. So I think if you give yourself a bit of time and you focus on those basic essentials in life, which is self-care, giving ourselves time to be present, to focus on us, because we need to understand us to work out what, what lights us up, what's, what can we contribute that's going to make a difference. And then there's a big part around nutrition, because if we eat clean and healthy and cut out preservatives, science tells us that our bodies and our minds work better, more efficiently. And then the third part is clearing out your mind and allowing space for the new way of your thinking to come in so that you connect your mind, your body and your soul all together and allow your, your totality to work. And I believe when you do that, it gives you that space to really see clearly at what your future is all about. So we, we get rid of all that busyness that, you know, our monkey minds are constantly going. So I don't know if, if that's the answer you were hoping for, but that's what I've found when we just settle and yeah, allow ourselves to just go, oh, what is it that I'm really about? Yeah. Sometimes you need help to give yourself the time and, and help to determine what those things are. So don't be afraid to seek those mentors or seek those coaches. You know, people could, I'd imagine some of those things are things you do with your, your clients these days. So seek people. I certainly have a professional that I do work with in that area myself. Seek assistance in your business, nutrition. You know, you mentioned that. We've had a person who works with us here in the business on health and wellness, and part of that's nutrition, um, to help our team get to those things and find the space to do whatever works for them because it's different for everyone and mentors just looking out for them and spending the time and for me it was developing the hedgehog to make me realize i'd already developed my hedgehog but actually sitting down and and spending the time on it to work out what are the things you like doing what are the things you're good at and and you know someone like yourself can help people get to that so anyway that, that's enough about me talking about that <laughs> so um that's what so happens with that's passion it. that's it yeah exactly that's passion you know maybe you could tell us a bit about what you do with with people, Joan, in terms of working in your area of work, what sort of things um, maybe you do or what sort of techniques you could impart to our listeners to help them get there? We start off with unpacking where the client is at that moment in time. And then we, we work out on what is the vision? Where do they want to go? And I use vision boards a lot. I find them really powerful. And a lot of people have heard of them, but they don't actively have one and look at it every day and update it and add into it emotion and color and specific things that they want in their life. So I use a lot of affirmations and use a lot of energy work where there's lots of research now that talks about successful CEOs who listen to their intuition, you know, that gut feeling. Mm. There was a body of work done a couple of years ago that showed that the CEOs who 
look at their data and validate it, but make a decision based on that data, but also what their gut feeling is telling them because they're heavily invested in their business or company. And the, the ones who use their gut feeling are much more effective, have better teams and better productivity and results, which impact the bottom line. So from all this research, I work with my clients to develop that, that intuitiveness that's in them to help them become more confident in making decisions, not always based on data, but on what they're actually feeling inside as well. So we do a bit of that. I do a lot of work around their health, their well-being, getting them moving, exercise, meditation, yoga, because a flexible mind helps if you've got a flexible body that moves. So I kind of use a holistic approach in diet, exercise, presence, mindfulness, all these tools. And I find that as the more we unpack there, the more honest the client becomes and the, the more clarity that becomes apparent so that it's kind of like, you know, you can't see the wood for the trees. Mm. So when you do those detoxes or you, you start cutting down on the, the cokes and the fast foods, because like we've all worked in corporate, we've all worked long hours and we live on coffee and we forget to drink water and we skip meals because we're in meetings all day. And, and then so we'll grab a bag of lollies because we're ready to pass out. And that becomes habit. Mm. And um, before we know it, we never have lunch and we'd never have breakfast because we're too busy getting to the, the first meeting of the day or whatever it is. So it's about relearning all those basics, which seems really fundamental, but that's where the magic happens. Right. So if I could offer anything today, I'd say to people to look at your diet and make some changes to it. And it doesn't have to be huge. It can be, I'm going to drink two litres of water every day instead of fizzy drink or coffee or whatever. And, you know, try and have a balanced diet, have a bit more protein than normal, you know, move your body. Our bodies are designed to move, not to sit all day, even if it's a walk around the block or up the stairs at lunchtime, just to get moving, just to clear your head. And, and walking is so incredibly powerful and looking up to the sky, seeing the blue sky. Mm. Because in, in Scotland, you don't see blue yeah, sky Scott, very what's that? Blue sky? <laughs> But, you know, it uplifts you and it, it just yeah. changes the way that you think. Yeah, it's interesting listening to those things you talk about in that, you know, we do this here in our business regularly and, you know, exercise, getting the endorphins going in the morning, whatever it might be, getting you out and about, soaking in a bit of blue sky. I call it smelling the roses. Yep. I start my days regularly with about two hours of exercise rowing wow. at the moment. So that's a bit of a different, <laughs> call me crazy, but that's it. And eating the right foods. And sometimes that's hard to do in terms of knowing what to do. So getting help, understanding mentors and, and working with mentors and coaches to help you get there. Because uh, as you said, it's, it's, it's time and, and understand, because it doesn't happen overnight, all this stuff. 
So yeah, all, all of those things I think our listeners could take on board if you're looking to try and be a top performing person or get to what you're trying to get to, doing those things will help you get there for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And the research backs it all up, mm. you know. If you look at all the top performing CEOs, mm. they all have coaches, mentors, they have exercise regimes, they've got a lot of attention around their diet, mm. you know, they take time out, they have that life balance, yeah. which is, is tricky to get. But mm. the more that you get balanced, the more time that you have, have you found that? Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah you can have that. It's, yeah, sometimes circumstances helps you, but yeah, how to get the most out of business and how to get the most out of your working life and how to get the most out of what you want to do. As a leadership coach, what are some of your key practices or, or values? So my, my values are, are quite simple, is respect, have integrity, to be open, honest and transparent, and to pay it forward. That's the, the fundamentals of life. And I, I think I, I practice kindness every day. And I think that's as difficult as it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Key practices and values. Yeah. yeah. So um, you've written a book. I have. And uh, could you tell us a bit about that and how the writing process went and what your book's about, all those sorts of things? Okay, so this is my book and it's called Show Up for Women to Lead Through Times of Change. I think the whole process from the time I started writing to the time I published was nine or ten months. Yeah. So it was like this roller coaster effect. That, and it's about women and it's about women having courage and confidence and to know that we're all on a similar journey, that we, we're all in this together. It just might be a bit different for us at certain times. And the key message through my book is remembering who you are practicing your values, keeping your integrity, because energetically, if that's what we're putting out, that's what we attract to us. Yes, yeah. And the more that we attract good to us, the more we're given out. So it becomes self-fulfilling, doesn't it? And the world elevates a bit. And we all know that we've got so much healing to do now in Australia with all the trauma that's gone on with the fires and the floods of late. I believe we're seeing this in humankind just now that, you know, we're all, I guess, re-looking, revisiting ourselves and saying, maybe what's happened in the past, maybe it's time to do things a bit different. And so my book touches a bit on that. And again, it goes back to the foundation of, you know, what's your purpose? What's your why? When you, you find out what your purpose is, to commit to it and then to grow from that commitment and then eventually you create this system and you get to your mastery, which is where you're really at ease with yourself. And, and you know when people say to you, you make your job look easy, mm. that's kind of when you're in that, your zone where you know, you're, you're really doing what you're here to do and it just comes so intuitively to you and you love what you're doing and yeah. people can feel that and, and they want a part of it. So I hope my book gives somebody some encouragement and some focus and some hope that 
you know, they, they can make a difference. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will, Joan. It's like interesting, you know, you talk about writing a book in nine months and it was a big journey. I know I've spoken to quite a few people, not in the mining and resources sector, but in, in various other sectors that all talk about writing their book and it took them over 12 months or two years to write. So nine months is pretty good going, Joan, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it's still a big commitment. But I think it's about being relevant. I think gone are the days, because we self-publish now, mm. um, before you had to go and get published and you know the publishers would only take specific books that they had an interest mm. in. Whereas when you self-publish, it's not about you know being the bestseller and, and that, it's about just sharing a bit of your genius with someone and it doesn't need to be a lot of people it's it's just about putting your message out there and if it inspires someone else to write a book who might have a lot more to share or a lot more to contribute you know then that's a good thing because until I met my coach or my last coach I didn't realize I could self-publish a book yeah yeah, yeah. you know and then all of a sudden it became achievable that I could do this excellent I always finish off with this same question. So what is your most memorable story from the site or your funniest story from the site that you've got? My first visit to an underground mine. Well, it wasn't the first visit, but it was a visit where I was doing an audit. So my first audit underground. Everything was going well. And then we found this little crib room, this little area where some of the workers would have their morning tea and smoke when I went into it, you know, it's like an igloo shaped and the walls are all concrete and they have steel mesh to support the, the yeah. roof, you know, where I'm going here. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. <laughs> and I might have seen it a couple of times. <laughs> and as I walked in and I just looked up and the roof wasn't that high and I'm not that tall and there was literally thousands of tea bags on the roof hooked up to this mesh and I just looked in disbelief trying to understand what what this was and so one of the underground operators that was with me I said what is this and he said well it's kind of a bit like a rite of passage so when the boys are sitting having their cup of tea and they jingle their tea bag then they've got to flick the tea bag up and hook it on the mesh. There was some scoring method that went along with this and there was literally thousands of tea bags and they said, this is part of the culture of underground mining. And I went, but it's not hygienic and it's not healthy. <laughs> and so we had to clean it up, but I, I remember it to this day. I just had no idea that you could even think that you would want to flick tea bags up onto the roof mesh. <laughs> <laughs> so all you miners out there, I'm sure you probably hate me with a passion for removing them, but um, I remember it's quite extraordinary. I think uh, different sites have their different things. <laughs> that was one for that different site. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's uh, no doubt that goes on in a few coal mines or something like that or where it might be. But thanks, Joan, for joining us today and for sharing your perspective on health and leadership and change in the industry. And it's been great to have you here. And I thank you very much for sharing your stories. And for those listening, if you'd like to speak to Joan, you're more than welcome to connect 
with her on LinkedIn, and her book is available via Amazon, Dimix, and her website, joanmcewen.com slash book. And you can find that on our website as well. That information will be there with along with our podcast. And you can download the first three chapters for free. And as I said, all this information will be available on the Resources Unearthed website and podcast page. So thanks again, Joan, for joining us today. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.